talk to Big John about the big ideas of the day in a convivial atmosphere. He's a real conservative, not one of those country club Republicans. He's pro-family, pro-education, pro-business, pro-life, pro-Second Amendment, and he loves his mama, too. Now here's your host, the big guy himself, John Mason. Hey, hey, guys. Today is Wednesday, February 24th. And uh, we got another big show uh, lined up for you today. And uh, as always, if you want to get in on today's Hot Talk action, it's 504-556-9696. Or if you prefer, 504-556-YO-YO. All right, let's see. We got uh, Luke from Baton Rouge. Hey, Luke, what's up? Hey, hey, Bib. Good to talk to you. I love the show. Thank you much. Well, let me just say real quick, um, you know, as far as uh, what's going on with uh, Biden and everything, uh, I think the real problem is uh, we got a big alien problem. There's a lot of people coming in. We're not keeping track of them. Is this live? It's live. Uh, you know, I listened to you just then. Uh, uh, the rhino is obviously a big problem. I'm noticing one name missing from the list, and I'm wondering if it's worrying you like worrying me. Of course, it's uh, Boba Fett. Do you worry he could come back? I, uh, the thing is, though, Bib is, correct me if I'm wrong here, or I don't know if this is offensive or not, but the do you refer to the your lakus as head tails or is that just like something that other people do is that a, a non twilek kind of jargon cuz i don't want to get this wrong this next thing i say uh i am i have absolutely no idea what you're referring to at the moment the, ten, the tentacles that grow on your head as a as a twilight yeah, yeah. your bib fortune we got right? another out of state uh, crank call so cut him off all right Boba Fett, uh, your own escape from the great pit of Carcoon, obviously, uh, notwithstanding, he may have survived the Sarlacc pit. Okay, once again, apparently the liberals are uh, really paying attention to the show. Uh, let's see, who is up next? Jesse in Baton Rouge. Hey, Jesse, what's up? Hey, babe, how you doing? Another day in lockdown paradise. How about you? <laughs> I don't I know. A day one or longer from Baton Rouge, by the way. They wanna wonder. And I'm just wondering, uh, you know, when they start sending the stormtroopers in, how are we going to stop them from, you know, uh, screwing up our lives? And you were talking earlier about uh, abortion. You know, I don't know about you, but personally, I think, uh, you know, it doesn't matter the age, doesn't matter the size, size matters not. We're all people. We're all humans. And we've got a right to life. Um, I personally believe in, you know, I'm a spiritual guy. I believe in an energy that surrounds us and binds us all. And I think it's important, but, um, you know, with everything that we're trying to, uh, you know, the freedom that we try to enjoy here in the outer rim. Um, you know, that's you know, I, the challenge. We have got to make it through the next two years. And then we exactly. can take the House and the Senate. I am the Senate. So I take uh, who we got? Jesse and Shreveport. Hey, what's up? Hey, baby, how you doing? Happy one year anniversary, man! I Thank just you, sir. To say it's been an amazing one. I've been listening almost the whole time. I love the show. And to the, any of the liberals out there listening, I wanted to say a big McClunky to them. And you're doing great. You must be doing something right. Ah, uh, well, maybe. 
Uh, definitely uh, growing some I'm, listenership. My monkey. All right, let's see. I've got Dave and Lafayette. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, Ben. Great show. Thanks for doing it. Oh, thank you. Um, listen, I, you're just talking about it, actually. I think uh, one of the big issues going to be coming up here is election integrity. I think it's something that's been on everybody's mind, um, especially since this last presidential race. I think here in Louisiana, with the primaries coming up, uh, the primary race, general race, the biggest race, though, that we're going to have this year is, of course, the Boonta Eve Classic. And I know you'll be seeing it from a close-up view from the uh, box you normally get to sit in with Jab of the Hut. Um, my money's on Sebulba. All right. Uh, you know, I've been told that there are seminar callers out there who are trying to go after the popular conservative talk show hosts. So uh, I'm doing something right, or I wouldn't annoy the bejeebers out of liberals from uh, across the state and across the uh, country. The bejeebers. Well, how are you? Very good. How are you? That's another day in phase three lockdown. Absolutely. Can I get a big McClunky from Big John? I'm not sure what a McClunky is. Well, like, you know, like, uh, you know, saying to the liberals, McClunky. What does it mean? McClunky. What I worry about, and I've heard about this, is killing of born children, not just the unborn. I wanted to get your take on this, uh, about the killing of the younglings. On Coruscant. What do you think about that? On Coruscant? Star Wars. Ah. Cut. Cut him. Okay. All right. That uh, apparently was uh, the Star Wars caller. So uh, let's see who we got. Still got the phone lines lit up. Let's. McClunky? I don't know what it means. It's sort of like, um, you know, uh, your days are numbered. McClunky. Uh, well, I, I will always uh, try to get uh, liberals and their purveyors out of office and replace them with good conservatives. So certainly to that extent, uh, you got my support on that. And the uh, McClunky. Again, I'm going to have to look that up. Because uh, I can't have a sound clip out of me if it means something nasty. McClunky. But um, you must, you must know. I mean, you speak Huttese. All right, that was uh, apparently one of the Legion of Star Wars fans that we've picked up uh, somewhere along the way. All right, let's move on. I want to transition. I want to transition. I want to transition. I want to transition. All right, who do we have, caller? Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. What's your name? Uh, this is Kelsey. How are you, Vic? Hi, Miss Kelsey. It's another day in lockdown paradise. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, happy one-year anniversary. Thank you much. Um, I was going to say, what's with all the uh, calls you're getting about Star Wars? I'm sorry, Finn. I'm sorry to hear someone about Star Wars. The, the day Rush died, there was a... Uh, program, at least according to what I've read on the internet, uh, was a yeah. seminar uh, for people to call popular conservative talk show hosts and get them to either fall for a Star Wars comment, and since then I've been getting a lot of Star Wars calls. What does Star Wars have to do with Rush Limbaugh? You got me. It was just something that I read on the internet, and um, 
I've been getting a bunch of them, and I, I'll be honest, I'm kind of flattered because it means someone out there thinks I'm popular. And, uh, you know, I do this because I really enjoy doing it. I'm not making any money off it, and I certainly don't think that I'm the next Rush Limbaugh. But yeah. I do enjoy the show, and I'm glad I have be. listeners. You might be the, rush, the next Rush Limbaugh. I was going to ask him, how's the weather there in Tatooine? There we go, and it's another Star Wars call. Well, all right, all the out-of-state calls have certainly been about Star Wars. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, I uh, Star Wars is okay, but uh, I'm a trekker. If I'm going to watch science fiction, I prefer Star Trek over Star Wars, so that should really give them uh, some more ammunition. What's on your Absolutely. mind today? Absolutely. Well, I'm doing the intro to the show, and I wanted to say... Um Let's go bully the internet. This is Pot Awful. Ah, Mr. Pot Awful, how are you? I'm your host, Jesse P.S., as you can hear there from Bib John Mason. Mr. Pot Awful, hi, how are you? I guess he knew me. He heard of the program. Welcome, Pot Awful. One more time, huh? We've been away for a little while. Lost a YouTube channel. It was complete McClunky that we lost it. Real, real bad stuff. But, hey, listen. Is it a pain in the butt? Of course it is. We're not going to talk about that, though. I had this show planned already. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight on this show. And don't worry, if you're a Trekker or if you're not in Star Wars, I'm going to hold your hand through this one, okay? I'm going to do a little bit of an explainer. I'm going to treat you like you're a complete retard on this, so you're going to be fine. But I just wanted to start this off with just one little note about the whole YouTube thing. Again, obviously sucks. Lost a lot of stuff. 11 years of hard work having to reconnect everything, put everything on new platforms and stuff, open up new YouTube accounts and go everywhere else. But here we are, we're doing it, people are watching. It's no big deal, really. You know, I was thinking about it, and I'm not comparing myself to this kind of level or anything, but, you know, you, you think about, like, who's been through stuff like this, you can't help but think about famous people. I, I, I was reminded, you know, I'm a big fan of David Letterman, and Letterman, he all, he... Wanted to be the host of The Tonight Show. And that was kind of stolen out from under him by Jay Leno. And then Jay Leno was the host for years. And then Conan O'Brien got it. And I remember watching David Letterman. You could tell Dave was rooting for Conan. He thought Conan was the guy for the job. He thought, hey, this guy, he deserves it. He put in the hard work. They finally, yeah, got this guy out of there. He gets The Tonight Show. He's doing it for about nine months. And then they take it right out from under him. They just kind of steal it away from him and give it back to Jay Leno for a minute. And then that doesn't work out. And now we're stuck with Jimmy Fallon. You know? And did Conan let that get to him? No. 
Conan was kicked off of The Tonight Show, the biggest platform on TV, The Tonight Show. And what did he do after that? Well, he invented podcasting. So, something to think about. Anyway, let's check in with the uh, chat room, see what they're saying in there. We're live. Uh, it's a Monday. We're normally live on Sundays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, TV, and Wednesdays over there in the Pizza Fun, Pizza. We missed you. Set phasers to bully. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, all hail President Scroob. No idea what that means. I saw some great comments, though, during that intro. And again, that's our new um, fake radio friend, Bib John Mason. Now, he's on the real radio. I call him Bib. Apparently, his name is... I had this wrong the whole time. When I first tuned in, I could have sworn he said his name was Bib. Bib John Mason. I thought he was Bib Fortuna. Apparently, it's Big... John Mason, I saw a lot of great comments. People were talking about wanting to milk his neck. He's got a big, fat, orn-free ta neck sack. And I saw one, uh, what was the comment? Oh, it was a great one. It said, I'm sorry, I don't remember who said it now, but they said Rush Limbaugh is now a force ghost. I thought that was very funny, yeah. Uh, Where all of the flags at the Boonta Eve Classic are half-masked for Rush Limbaugh. Um, I'll tell you this right off the bat. Found that guy. Through There's this show called Not Even a Show, and I know about that show because of our other fake radio guy, Tom Gully. <laughs> Have you heard of him? Tom Gully, he's sort of our intro guy. He does the pre-show to Pod Awful on our YouTube channel over at The Tom Gully Show. And Tom, he actually had the guy from Not Even a Show on his show today. He called in, so... Um, That was very exciting, but I was watching this not even a show. I'm not even a fan of it. I was watching it. He does prank calls. You know I love prank calls, kind of the king of them, and they suck. They're terrible, but I saw that guy, Bib John Mason, on there, and I went, oh, wouldn't it be really cool if um, somebody funny did a prank call to him? So I did a hundred of them, (laughs) and I'm never going to stop. I love calling Bib John Mason and annoying him with Star Wars stuff. And I can do that because I have autism. Now, listen, I think autism is a spectrum, and I'm not saying a single goddamn bad thing about anybody autistic on tonight's show. In fact, tonight's show is in praise of autism. In fact, I'm going to be leaning into my autism for this one. And I'm going to be talking about a topic that if you're not a Star Wars complete nerd like me, You probably don't know about it, but if you are, this one's kind of old news, but it's going to lead us into some nice, fun, and new avenues, okay? Again, if you're not into Star Wars, I'm here to hold your hand, buddy, because every day when I got home from school as a little kid, you know, we just got the internet. I'm, I don't know, 10 years old or so. I don't know how old I was, but we had just gotten the internet for the first time, AOL dial-up. You don't even know where to go. There's just, it's websites back then. And nobody even knew, what does HTTP mean? I had never heard of a hypertext transfer protocol. Why would you expect that of me? But I had heard of a Star Wars databank. And I found myself every day after school on the Star Wars databank reading useless information. You know, I, I... As a little kid, I was a super fan of Star Wars, and I love Star Wars. The great thing about Star Wars and why, even if you're not into it, you should be able to connect to it as a viewer of Pot Awful, is nobody hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. It's unbelievable. 
I think the only thing that comes close are fans of Opie and Anthony. They seem to hate everything on that show. I don't know enough about that one to know if it's a tie or who's above who, but Star Wars fans hate Star Wars more than anybody else on Earth. And as a kid, even, I had this love-hate relationship with Star Wars. As the prequel started to come out, I was realizing, like, what is this? This is total garbage and nonsense. But I want to be careful about what I say here. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Um, but I would, I would obsess over this thing because I had all of the original 1977 to 1983 action figures from Star Wars. And I always, even as a child, thought, isn't it odd that they've got an action figure for a guy who walks past the screen for two seconds in the background? Like, you have to pause the video to be able to even see him. And you can't even really do it then because back then when you paused a VHS, it would do that that tracking thing on there. You couldn't even see it. You had to kind of fuzzily make it out. And I know that because I had heard that you could see um, Ula's titty in, Re in Return of the Jedi when she's struggling with Jabba. Her titty pops out. And so I was trying to, you know, ooh, <laughs> a booby in Star Wars. They can't tell me not to. My parents can't tell me not to watch Star Wars. You can't, uh, you're not allowed. It's a green titty. It doesn't count. It's art. It's art, mom. Get out of my room. So I thought it was fascinating that I've got all of these characters that have these clearly placeholder names like Hammerhead. And then I find out if you go on the internet, you can find out the names and backstories of every character, including ones that didn't even make it into the film for Star Wars. Now, I want to be clear about something. Uh, the reason all these characters, well, the reason they have names and stuff is Mama. But the reason they have backstories and names, somebody went to the trouble with all of that is there are stories, comic books, novels, short stories, um, uh, like Dungeons and Dragons style role-playing games all based around the Star Wars universe. And I want to be very clear, I've never read any of those things. Not one. All I read was the Star Wars databank and Wikipedia <laughs> every day after school, like a nerd. And yes, somehow I still managed to get laid. So I would get home and I would go, let's see what the adventures of 2-1-B, the medical droid, are today. What's he doing when he's not on the rebel medical frigate replacing Luke's hand with a mechanical one? Well, wouldn't you know it, it turns out he's been on many adventures. In fact, everyone in Star Wars, no matter how small, is the most interesting person to have ever lived, including the ones that aren't people. I'm not kidding, there's a slug on Jabba's palace's ceiling who's got a whole story about him. An entire story. Salacious B. Crumb, the little laughing puppet. <laughs> He's got, he has lived a life that you could never dream of. And you can read all about it <laughs> on the databanks of StarWars.com. And I now am burdened with the autistic weight of having learned all of these characters' names and stories. You point to a random guy walking around in the background on Star Wars. If it is the original movies, I can probably tell you his name. Oh, him? He's Efont Mom. <laughs> Why do I know that?
I shouldn't even tell people that it's honestly too embarrassing to talk about this kind of stuff, but I feel like I have to say this in order to do tonight's show. Tonight's show is going to get into my favorite thing about Star Wars, a franchise that is now completely dead to me. I don't like it anymore. Now, first of all, I'm an adult man with no children. So, as you could imagine, if you are a normal person, when you grow up, <laughs> you stop liking such things. But to be honest, I autism myself so far out. And this is my only thing. You know, I'm not into trains or elevators or Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm into one tiny little thing. Star Wars. Oh, what? The biggest franchise to ever exist. A cultural touchstone of our lifetimes. The biggest movie to ever come out. Star Wars. You're into that? I feel like that one's okay. But I'm not into it anymore. Because I can't be. Because the sequel movies came out and they are horrific garbage. And I'm not one of these guys. You know, I'm not, I'm not collecting Funko Pops along my wall. So I'm not one of these guys where when Disney bought Star Wars, I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. No, they're going to ruin it. I thought they could probably do a pretty good job. You know, Disney's pretty well known for making some stories. So it seemed like a real layup. I mean, it seemed like a, an easy slam dunk for them to pull this one. God, no. Nope. Uh-uh. They messed that one up. So I would like to do what I think a lot of the internet has been too afraid to do in the wake of what we've learned. I was one of these big-time prequels bashers. I hated the prequels movies, even as a kid. You know, if you're under 25, if you're under 28 years old, you grew up with the prequel movies, and so you think they're good because you were stupid. You've got nostalgia goggles on. I have completely cauterized my own eyeballs of nostalgia. I don't have any of that. And even as a kid, I knew. Like, I, I remember going to see Phantom Menace in 1999 with my dad. And I knew my dad wasn't into it. He just knew I liked it. He didn't want to watch. What's that, a goddamn alien? He doesn't know what's going on. So I knew I'd look over at him every once in a while. Kind of, you never do that thing as a kid where you check in with your parent. Like, are we having fun? Are we? Is this okay? And I was looking at him, and I realized I wasn't checking to make sure he wasn't just falling asleep because it's Star Wars. I was checking in to make sure that this wasn't the dumbest thing we've ever watched, and I'm ten or however old I am. You know, pre just previous to that, we were at a monster truck show with Truckosaurus Rex breathing fire into the air. That one seemed cool. But then little Anakin tried spinning. That's a good trick. And I knew something was amiss here. That said, what I'm going to say here is what the other people online, the nerds, the guys who are still holding the candle for Star Wars, refuse to say. George Lucas, I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. I had no idea. I didn't know it could get worse. Now, that said, I'm not one of these guys who are saying, the prequels, they're actually good if you really study them. There are some interesting themes. There's some amazing technical revelations going on in those things. But they're terrible, terrible stories and terrible, terrible movies. And I've rewritten them a million times over in my head. I, I'm pretty sure you could train your dog to write a better Star Wars movie. But if you really think about it, George Lucas 
He comes from a line of experimental filmmakers. The guy is he has a love of film and particularly experimental film. George Lucas never set out to create the greatest story of good and evil of the modern day. It was an accident. He stumbled into it. And how did he do it? Because George Lucas is fully, fully autistic. autistic. Now again, it's a spectrum. I've just got a little bit. I just enjoy the fun adventure of the product, the little bit of fantasy meets sci-fi, the space opera of it all. I liked the special effects as a kid. You know, when I'm a kid, my favorite character is R2-D2 because I'm looking at him going, how'd they do that? How'd they got a robot? I liked robots. You know, I'm a simple guy that way. George Lucas is Rain Man, which means he's a genius. Let me be clear. George Lucas, again, sorry, he's a genius. He's an ideas man, and he should never be allowed anywhere near a script. But you want him just over there going, Yeah, what if there was like a, you know, like a Chinese alien? And you're like, what? <laughs> that sounds bad. What do you mean? You know, like a whole race of sort of Chinese-y looking aliens. I don't know. Just, uh, what would you call them? Nemoidians? Love it. You know what? That's a great name. Have you heard the names they try to come up with ever since George Lucas wasn't a part of this stuff? When he sold the franchise off to the white slavers of Disney? Even the names. This guy can come up with a name for an alien all day long. He is a genius at it. I'm telling you, he's a genius. But unfortunately, being autistic sometimes means that you can't perceive the way humans are supposed to interact with each other. You don't understand the full range of human emotion. And when you decide to make all your characters in your fantasy show that could have been aliens and robots, when you decide to make the main ones humans, and then one of them's just got a big pet dog going... <laughs> At that point, you kind of got to know about a little bit of human interaction. And luckily, on the first Star Wars movie, a bunch of people, you know, his wife came in and re-edited the movie. She sort of saved it by editing it, and he had, he had friends come in and rewrite the script for him, and basically, they gave it a human touch. And then the second movie came out, the best one, obviously, Empire Strikes Back, and that one kind of wasn't made by him. He didn't direct it. He didn't have a whole lot of input during the filming. But he did come up with all the ideas. He came up with the big revelation that's the greatest twist in all of movie history. That was him. George, sit in the corner, eat your crayons, and tell us the thoughts you have. And then we'll come up with the words. You know, we'll worry about making sure Harrison Ford acts in this scene. Or whether he just completely phones it in or not. Leave that us up to us. Unfortunately, what a lot of people don't realize, and maybe you don't if you're not a nerd like me, is Star Wars is an independent movie. It's an indie film. It's the biggest indie film of all time. And George Lucas, being the genius he is, he has full, he had full creative control over it, which was completely wrong. Because it means he could surround himself with yes-men. When 1998 rolls around and they start filming those newer movies, nobody could tell him no. He's the biggest guy. And he did it all himself. 
And how did he do it? To finance the film, he kind of took, he didn't really take so much money. He just used all the money he would have gotten into making the movie. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to take the merchandising and sequel rights on this. As you can guess, that turned out well for him, but it also explains why I've got a figure from 1977 called Hammerhead. So, <laughs> you know, Snaggletooth, the little guy who's sitting at the bar at the Mos Eisley Cantina. Now you've got, you can buy your own Snaggletooth. Make sure you get the variant Snaggletooth, the one with the orange pants instead of the tan one. That one's rare. It's more expensive. So this guy, he is a genius. And he's a, he's a shrewd businessman, but he has no idea what he's doing with story. And he has no idea the unintended consequences of some of his more outlandish ideas. And that's where we get to the crux of tonight. Tonight is all about McClunky. McClunky. And again, maybe you've already heard of this. Maybe you haven't. McClunky. <laughs> I love this, okay? George Lucas, in perhaps the most controversial move that he's ever made of all time, he took the original Star Wars movies in 1977 and he changed them a little bit, just a little bit, because he can't leave well enough alone. He's a little like Chris Chan. You know, when it comes to the spectrum, Chris Chan... If you'll recall, Chris Chan freaked out in a GameStop one day and sprayed everyone with a cloud of pepper spray just because Sonic the Hedgehog had the wrong color arms. And I'm not even going to venture a guess which color they were supposed to be and which one they were. I'll just leave it at that because she's a... I'm sorry, I keep saying he. She's a beautiful... Christine Weston Chandler is a beautiful woman and I want to be able to breathe. I don't want him force choking me with mace. George Lucas is a little like that. He pays attention to those tiny little details, and he can't leave well enough alone. For the rest of his life, he's going to be sitting there in front of Star Wars, and he doesn't even own it anymore, and he's going to be going, uh, you know, I wish I had computer-generated effects when I was making this in 77 because I probably would have put rocks in front of R2-D2 here. That's what he's thinking about. He never does any changes that help the story. He only is thinking about how many rocks are in the scene. What do those clouds look like? Are they the right clouds up there? Sometimes he actively destroys the continuity of the movies all in service of some bizarre little idea he had. And again, Who's going to tell him no? Now, the strangest part of all of this is he sold off Star Wars in what? 2013, 14, somewhere in there. I don't even remember when Force Awakens came out. So it was incredibly shocking when Disney, now having owned this franchise for years, in 2019 released a brand new Blu-ray of the original movies. And lo and behold, fans were met with perhaps the strangest change that has ever been put inside any movie ever. And by the way, George Lucas kind of started this whole craze of changing stuff. Like, you almost certainly have never seen the same movie you saw in the theater at home. 
every movie nowadays gets changed before it becomes a home release, before it's put on the internet, whatever. In fact, sometimes they change them while they're still in the theaters. Revenge of the Sith uh, actually started that one off, I think, or, or it might have been Attack of the Clones. One of those, while it was still in theaters, he changed something in it. I won't get down into the minutia, but if you were to look up the list of the changes that have happened to the Star Wars movies over the years, you would be left baffled by it, <laughs> you know? It would be a conversation that you could never have with another human being. It's why I'm not going to bore you with the petty details, but I have to tell you this one. The most controversial change of all time in Star Wars, without a doubt, is the scene where Han Solo, Harrison Ford, shoots an alien named Greedo to death. Now, you've probably heard the phrase, Han shot first. This scene, in every single subsequent release of Star Wars, every time it's been reissued to VHS, Laserdisc, DVD, Blu-ray, it doesn't matter, every time George Lucas tinkered with it, and lo and behold, <laughs> the final copy of Star Wars, the original movie that Disney now owns, is a copy that Lucas had tinkered with and didn't tell anybody. And so bafflingly, this Han shot first scene has changed again. Now I'm going to show you a little bit of it, and I'm assuming I'm going to get hit with a lot of copyright strikes on this one, but who cares? I'm not a YouTuber anymore. So here is the 2019 Disney version of Star Wars. This is actually from Disney+. And I'm going to explain it to you. So originally, Han just shoots this alien Greedo dead. That's what happened the first go-around, okay? Then he tinkered with it where they kind of shoot at the same time at each other. Originally, the other alien, the alien didn't shoot. Now they shoot at the same time. Then fans go, that's no good. So then they have, he switched it so that Han dodges the alien's bullet. It's in the most unconvincing special effect of all time. He somehow starts going Matrix style and dodges the bullet. At some point, he kind of tamed it a little bit where Han still shot first, but the other alien shot. I don't even know where it was left off before this final change happened. This is the scene in question. Take a look. I don't have it with me. Tell Java. So the alien's telling him, oh, we got no time for your excuses. You stole something from us. Even I get He's pointing a gun right at Han Solo's head. Sometimes. You think I had a choice? Han's secretly pulling his blaster out from under the table. For my dead body. That's the idea, the alien says. Now, anybody who knows anything about Star Wars, when this version came out, they must have been sitting there on pins and needles during this scene going, what's going to happen now? And nobody could have seen this coming. Oscar. Yes, I bet you have. My clunky. <laughs> so I have to be clear. Never in the history of this movie 
Has this character ever said that word? Play it one more time. Please, that Kanko. That Oscar. Yes, I bet you have. Ma Kanki. Ma Klong Ki. How does this happen? <laughs> I, I mean, again, this is a movie shot in the 70s. This character has never said McClunky. There's no outtake of this character saying McClunky. The voice actor who played Greedo has now gone on record as saying, I never said that. What? Huh? Also, huh? <laughs> Can I add, uh? George Lucas, at some point, was sitting there stroking his Orn Free Ta neck sack, his Bib Fortuna neck sack, going, huh, okay, so how can I fuck with them now? And to be honest, nerds, you deserve it. For every piece of shit you gave George Lucas, every time you made him feel bad, every time you said he raped your childhood over the prequels, have you seen the sequels now? You deserve what happened to you. When it comes to this scene, every time. In fact, I think, I hope to God, Disney gets the right idea in their head and goes, you know what? Let's let George fuck with it a few more times. Let's just see what he comes up with. Let's go to him and go, George, listen, we're going to still own the movie, but every time you edit it, we will put that out. You want to make people mad? We'll help you, buddy. Okay? You want to put a floating rock in front of somebody's head? We can make that happen. You want to add a comical scene with Jar Jar Binks eating poop? Why not? We don't care. You want to take the most pivotal scene where Darth Vader reveals he's the father of Luke Skywalker? Spoiler! And just add in... You know, a guy flying around on a broomstick in the background. Put Harry Potter in there. We don't own that one. Put him in there anyway. We'll deal with it in court. Let him sue us, okay? Whatever you want, we'll do it. We don't care because you deserve it, nerd. George Lucas was sitting there stroking his sack beard going, All right, how can I fuck with these nerds this time? What can I do that's going to make them mad on the internet now? Which I love. That is a beautiful, that's a pot-awful move. George Lucas and I. Mwah. So he's sitting there. He's thinking. He goes, okay, I made Greedo shoot first. I made Han shoot first. I've made him dodge bullets. What's the stupidest thing I can pull up? Why did you copyright strike somebody? Says pot-awful in the chat. Oh, you stole my name. That's stupid. You got to go. So, uh, why'd I copyright strike him? Because he stole my content. By the way, I, just so you know, if you haven't seen this yet, I've said this one in a few different places. I'll talk about this real quick. Um, you know that whole thing where I don't hit back on the goons? That's not a thing anymore. Bye! <laughs> so anyway, when I lose my YouTube channel, you don't get to re-upload my content. You're going to have to work harder, okay? You're going to have to do a little transformation on it. Some fair use stuff is going to happen. You don't get to just re-upload. Make it funny. Just do something with it first. And you're not going to ever hear from me. Don't re-upload my stuff unless I say you can. Anyway, uh, so George Lucas, he's sitting there. He's stroking the neck beard. You know, he's stroking. He's going, how do I make him mad now? All right, um... Well, what if I had a third guy show up and... Sh no, that's going to be too hard. Uh, 
I know the guys over at ILM aren't going to want to help me on this anymore. They, they threatened to strike the last time I did this, and uh, Disney will be pretty mad if, <laughs> if they're not working on the next Avengers. So, um, oh, I know. I'll, I'll just insert the stupidest word of all time. And then he sat there, and like I said, nobody can come up with stupid alien words and names and places better than George Lucas. He sat there, and the slot machine in his head, the hamster wheel starts turning, and he goes, and what pops out but McClunky. <laughs> it couldn't get any better than McClunky. Now, this is the most insane part of McClunky. Again, the actor who played Greedo, this little alien guy right here, I don't know if you guys can even see him. Screen's a little dark, but the guy who played him said, I didn't say that. <laughs> I ain't never heard of no McClunky before, which means George Lucas, in his infinite autistic wisdom, this AU gold, beautiful man, and you should, even if you don't like Star Wars, worship this guy, okay? This is genius. He hired a voice actor and went, can you kind of sound like Greedo? And they went, what? What's a Greedo? And he went, he's a Rodian. <laughs> and they said, I don't know, I guess. What does he sound like? You know, Unta Gunta and stuff. So he gets a guy, this poor sap. It might just have been his gardener, by the way, you know? He probably just went out to his front yard and went, uh, hey, Jose, come here for a second. Yeah, Mr. Luca. Um, can I hear you say Unta Gunta solo real quick? Um, that is something I say every day because it is already what I speak. And he goes, perfect. If you just come in, come down to the ranch for a second. He takes him into the ranch, Skywalker Ranch. They go into a recording booth. It's the dead of night. Complete, they're doing that thing where it's lights out and they're tippy toeing around and you can hear a xylophone as they sneak into the place that George Lucas owns and they go in there solo and they record this one line. He goes, Okay, Jose, take it from the top one more time. Just a, a quick McClunky. McClunky. No, if you could sound, try to listen. Greedo sounds like this My dead body. You hear that? That me, Could you just do that for me? McClunky. Okay, perfect. Yeah, why not? Throw it in there. Sure. Yeah, Oscar. Yes, I bet you have. McClunky. And then George was like, perfect. My vision. My. <laughs> My ever. This is everything I've ever wanted out of a movie. Finally, my masterpiece, my Mona Lisa. I will give this to the world. And then he sold Star Wars. And this might be the greatest troll move ever. He was sitting on it. He could have released that version. He could have put out the McClunky cut. And he went, no, I'll do one better. I'll make $4 billion off of this thing that nerds will never leave me alone about. 
And then when they want to see the real movie, when they want to see the original, I'm gonna hit him with McClunky. And there's nothing you can do about it. Now, the most insane part of all of this is that McClunky actually derives, uh, I mean, against all logic, it actually derives from George trying to tie the sequels together. The, the prequels and the originals, he's trying to tie them together. And how does he think to do that? Through themes and imagery? Nah. Through, <laughs> it's like pottery, it spins. How does he do it? Through um, a certain character reappearing who maybe wasn't a big character, like obviously Anakin Skywalker, he's going to reappear, but you know, maybe, have, nah, nothing like that. What if I take a random line from a random character and then have another random character say it in it through a retcon? And he did that. Sebulba. Turns out the first use of McClunky in Star Wars is from the Phantom Menace, Sebulba, the alien that, <laughs> that Anakin pod races against at one point in a horrifically racist Jamaican accent. <laughs> <laughs> while being played by a, a Shakespearean English actor, he says, Makolonki. <laughs> George Lucas is sitting, he speaks these languages, man. He invented Hutties and he speaks it. And he went, okay, so if I want them all to be talking the same way, I guess I gotta go and make one of them say McClunky. <laughs> Already had that one Doug alien say McClunky. Gotta have the other alien say McClunky. If they're not all saying McClunky, then what do we do? And now, even Disney is on board with McClunky because they had the Mandalorian end on our friend Bib John Mason saying McClunky. Here's Bib Fortuna. <laughs> there you go. That's real. McClunky. They added that in. McClunky. So Bib Fortuna now says McClunky, and now it's the perfect vision. The Disney era, the prequel era, the original era, they all say McClunky. George's vision is finally, you know what? It's all bullshit. It's all fucking bullshit, man. George Lucas will tell you all day long it's he's doing it for this reason or that reason. You got the nerd saying, actually, it's the ring theory. And if you really, truly understood the prequels, you would know they're in gene. Nah, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. I love George Lucas. I think this thing is very funny, but it's bullshit because I've been choking down the George Lucas bullshit since I was born, since I was a little kid. I remember the first time I watched Star Wars. I was probably like two or three years old. I remember it. And I remember reading about Star Wars stuff in magazines before the prequels came out. And I remember looking this stuff up online. And I remember reading all the old interviews with George Lucas and his ideas and him claiming that he had written out the whole story ahead of time. I remember way before Revenge of the Sith coming out, I read in a magazine in like 1996 that... In George Lucas's head, Darth Vader was made Darth Vader by battling Obi-Wan on a lava planet and exploding into a ball of fire. I remember all of that. And that's why I know it's all 
complete and utter bullshit because George Lucas is nothing but a liar. Now, again, I'm not talking crap about him. I'm taking nothing away, but he's a showman. Number one thing is he is a showman, and he will spin a yarn. He can't tell a story to save his life unless it's to make you think that he was doing some genius filmmaking. There is maybe no better example of this than a certain story that has been a rumor, unproven, and many different takes on this over the years. A lot of people agree. A lot of the fans of the movies, they think that this theory is true. They just believe it because it seems right. But George Lucas and company would have you believe otherwise, and nobody's really quite sure. If you were to look up articles about this, they would tell you that it seems to be an unfounded rumor. I'm going to tell you all about this thing, okay? Because it, it led me on my own autistic Star Wars rabbit hole that has got me... I ha if I don't express this to somebody, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to explode, okay? I've gone on an internet deep dive, that, the likes of which the world has never seen. And all of this will explain to you why I know that this whole McClunky thing is just the world's biggest troll. That it has nothing to do with linking the movies together or him having an idea or him trying to make Greedo seem like he's a more menacing character. None of it's true. George Lucas loves a tall tale, man. He does. He claimed for years he had plans for uh, sequel movies up until episode 12, and then he said he never planned on that, and then he said he was never even going to do the prequels, and then he did the prequels, and then he sold it off to Disney, and then when he sold it off to Disney, he said, here are the treatments that I always had planned for the movies that I said just a couple years ago I had no intention of making or doing. Well, then why did you have the plans, George? Why did you have the plans? And it turns out that the whole thing was about midi-chlorians and the macro-biological world and all this other nonsense nonsense he's just completely made up and it all boils down to whether or not Luke Skywalker gets mauled by an ice monster because the actor who portrayed him got his face fucked up in a car wreck now I'm gonna go through this deep dive with you in just a second but before I do as we did just come back pot awful you know we had this Big thing where we lost our YouTube channel. We've had a lot of people reach out and say some very kind things. A lot of fans. Thank you to everybody who's reached out. Thank you to the people who joined the pizza fund, by the way. Pot off of that pizza if you want to see tonight's after show or our Wednesday show. Tonight's after show, by the way, is going to be. It's actually a pre-recorded thing. Is this live? No, it will not be. It's a pre-recorded thing. I'll be uploading uh, a little extra content after the show tonight for you on the pizza fund. Join at potawful.pizza. But a lot of people have reached out and said some very kind things and uh, you know showed their support in these troubling times. And I just want to say a big thank you. We have a, a pretty famous listener of this show. I don't know how she started listening to it. I don't know if this is just in her wheelhouse or somebody shared it with her, but I didn't even know she was watching until she sent me this video. This is from Lori in Chicago, big famous listener of Pot Awful. Thank God. 
Oh, the bowl is back, baby. And the earth is flat, not round. Okay, thank you, Lori Lightfoot, mayor of Chicago. Jenny Slate, Burger Fund. Oh, no, no, they're getting me with that one. The Burger Fund. Guys, ban them. I can't take it. Imagine me selling burgers or whatever they're accusing me of. Finally joined the Pizza Fund. So glad I did. Best thing ever, says Anonymous in the chat. Thank you very much. We just got light-footed, they're saying in the chat. Isn't that Lila? That might have been Lila. I don't know what to think about Lila anymore. You know, after ever since... She broke up with Plank. You know, she broke up with Rufio, then she breaks up with Plank. I don't know what to think about Lila anymore. Anyway, before we get into the big autistic dig here, um, I do want to say we've got a brand new shirt available at the Potawful store, potawful.shop. If you'd like to grab it, this is the uh, Potawful Is This Live t-shirt. As you can see here, the Potawful program. It's a beautiful original design. Let me just click on this. Beautiful original design. You got the TV logo there, you know, for Pot Awful TV, the program. And then if you see here at the bottom, it says owner of the Tom Gully Show, TM. And so we do own the Tom Gully Show. And if you'd like to support our other show, the Tom Gully Show, you can buy this shirt over at potawful.shop. Again, uh, the Pot Awful program is this live t-shirt. So there you go. Great new shirt. Had to say it. Had to say it. Let's get into this rabbit hole. Now I've had yarn up. Most of the reason I couldn't do a show for the past few weeks is I've had yarn and thumbtacks going to every corner of this room. I've had sticky notes up and newspaper clippings, and I have been researching in a way that is unreasonable. (laughs) I should not have been doing this. If you don't know the story, here's the theory. In episode five (laughs) The Empire Strikes Back. At the very beginning of the movie, Luke Skywalker, pretty much even before you really get a good look at him on screen, gets mauled by an ice monster called a Wampa. He gets his face completely ganked off. And they find him. Han Solo's got to go out. He finds him. He's all battered and bruised. The monster almost eats him. It's a whole thing. And I always loved that scene as a kid. It's the first time you see anybody use like telekinesis with the force and all this stuff. And Luke's the one doing it. It's very cool. It shows that he's come a long way. And also, goddamn, oh, his face. Ugh, his face. His face is really messed up. And man, his face kind of stays messed up, you know, for a while in the movie. They put him in this thing called a Bacta tank. And it's supposed to heal him. But goddamn, he's still... Looks like he's made of raw mincemeat. The theory is that they shot that scene, they wrote that scene entirely because Mark Hamill, the guy who plays Luke Skywalker, right before the original Star Wars movie came out, between filming the original Star Wars and the premiere, Mark Hamill was in a horrific auto accident. Now, this is the theory. This is what people have said for years and years and years. He was in this terrible auto accident, and it required so much plastic surgery on his face that it forever changed his very visage. And so they wrote that scene in just to explain to the children why their favorite superhero of all time, Luke Skywalker, now looks like a Picasso. (laughs) 
Now, as a kid, I looked at him and I went, God, he looks way different. But I didn't have any sense of time between the movies. I didn't know how long it was between shooting one and the other. I didn't know if he was just meant to look older. He certainly did. But he, all, he, just, he definitely looked worse. And I always chalked it up to, well, you know, I guess he just looks funny. I don't know. He doesn't look that bad in the first one. You know, Mark Hamill is kind of a sex symbol. He was kind of like a teeny bopper. You know, they put him on magazines and stuff with Donny Osmond. He was supposed to be like the next hot thing. He's the biggest star in the biggest movie. I mean, come on. Obviously, Harrison Ford came out a lot better than Mark Hamill in all of this. There's a reason he went into voice acting. <laughs> you see, the, the car crash thing is true. But the story goes, the story goes that it wasn't as bad as people said. And here's Mark Hamill himself in the 70s, right after the first movie. I think uh, Empire's coming out. And he's on this British interview show. And the host actually asks him about this rumor. And Mark Hamill kind of plays it down. But I have to say, he plays it down while looking like the Phantom of the Opera. There's you all the way through. There were no standings Absolutely. in that stuff. Um, there was a lot of talk, a lot of stuff written in the press about a terrible accident that you, you survived. Th those reports were exaggerated, I believe. Oh, yeah. I, in early 77, before the uh, film came out, my car skidded. And I now, to be clear, they're filming him from the good side, <laughs> okay? This side seemed to survive the accident. I broke my nose against the steering wheel. And it was sort of forgotten. They set the nose and uh, the movie came out. Nobody noticed, you know, that there was anything wrong. And I never really thought about it. And over the period of years, uh, it's built up into having my face reconstructed with plastic surgery. Mm. So he tries, you know, he's a, 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 an effervescent kind of guy. He's playful. He's a funny dude. He knows how to work a, an interviewer. He tries to make, ah, it's no big deal. Oh, they say I got plastic surgery. Ha ha ha. No, come on. And the interviewer says this. But it wasn't really too bad, and you are really, as you seem. Well, that's, that's a reassuring bit. <laughs> it wasn't really too bad, I guess. So he just completely erases what Mark Hamill just said. But it wasn't really too bad, and you are really, as you seem. And you see, Mark Hamill does his look like, what did you just say? No, I just said I looked fine. Nobody could even notice a difference. And he's like, huh? Huh? Well, that's, that's a reassuring. And then he just kind of looks down. It's one of those, you know, bum, 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 Charlie Brown moments. Now, this has been the official story of the Star Wars camp since day one of this rumor getting out there. At first, they didn't address the car crash thing at all. Then it got, somehow somebody found out about it. And then people started saying, like, he, I don't know, he looks a little different to me. And other people were like, well, you know, it's been two or three years. A guy might look different, but he's in his 20s. I mean, how much different do you look from 25 to 28? I mean, he's not that much older. Come on. And then they're like, well, yeah, I mean, he got a little bit fucked up. George Lucas, bullshit extraordinaire George Lucas, has said officially, not just on record, on the DVD commentaries for Star Wars, has said that he absolutely did not write those scenes to cover up the car crash scars of Mark Hamill. He said it helped, 
<laughs> it, it had nothing to do with the idea of it. It absolutely had no influence. And that, according to any official source, is the final word on it. Mark Hamill says, yeah, it was barely anything. He didn't have to have plastic surgery. But then Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, says, well, actually, they had to take cartilage out of Mark's ear and put it inside his nose and reshape his face. She said it was horrific. And then there's another interview where Mark Hamill says that his face was basically mangled hamburger. The stories always conflict, but the final answer on all of it is always, that scene had nothing to do with it. We promise, we always thought Mark looked the same, which I thought, well, let's take a look. And it turns out somebody's made a very handy graphic for exactly this kind of exercise. Here's Mark Hamill every year of his life <laughs> for the past, uh, you know, 30-odd years, 40-odd years. So we've got uh, 1971 Mark Hamill. If you look here, handsome guy, almost pretty, really. Pretty guy up until 1978. And then suddenly, he's a horrific bog monster from Dagobah. And this is the year, 77 is the year the car crash happened. And 78, everything changes. And then if you watch over the years, he goes up and down and looks to such an insane degree. I've never seen a more roller coaster ride of looks. In fact, in 1988, he looks pretty good. 1989, he's got a crazy look going on with the bleached hair, but it's working for him. And then 1990, oh my God. And then obviously, in, you know, he is getting older in these pictures. He does eventually just look like a frog person in 2006, but he is an older guy. But as he ages, the scars, the deep, deep, horrific scars, scars. start to come out. And in fact, there's a line across his nose in every photo at a, after a certain year. In like 1992, one of the scars on his nose from where they had to remake it out of his ear bones gets so, so deep that he can no longer hide it. Even makeup won't cover it up. He's just got this permanent line across his nose. Okay, fine. Still doesn't prove that they wrote the scene to cover this up. And again, to me, this is the holy grail of George Lucas bullshit stories. Did he write a scene because it was a good scene for character reasons, which is what he claims, or did he write it because suddenly his lead actor in the biggest film franchise of all time looks like garbage? Well, let's find out. Speaking of garbage, did you know that Mark Hamill was recently caught picking cigarette butts out of the garbage and smoking them? Here he is reaching into a cigarette ashtray, a public ashtray, picking out a butt and then getting in his car and smoking it while getting burgers. <laughs> so, listen, all I'm saying is, does that prove anything? No. All I'm saying is, when you get to a certain point in life and your looks have deteriorated to a certain point and you've been mangled up, maybe you're more willing to pick through the trash to find your dignity. Now, for me, and for many, many dorks like me, for years, the definitive answer to this question has been the Star Wars Holiday Special. When I tell you the way, I mean, listen, I didn't see that as a kid. Famously, the Star Wars Holiday Special 
It came out one time and that's it. It was pulled forever. It was garbage. It was so bad. It's unwatchable, but very famously, bootlegs of it have passed around the internet for decades now. And of course, I didn't see it as a kid, but when I saw it as an adult, I, I noticed the most jarring thing. You would think the most jarring thing would be that one of the characters in the movie uh, featured is Chewbacca's grandpa. And this is a show, by the way, meant it's a, a 70s um, Christmas special meant for families. And in this scene, Chewbacca's grandpa, the Wookiee, um, has cyber sex. <laughs> he, f he fucks a ghost, a holographic ghost woman. So you would think that would be the worst scene, but no, it is not. The worst scene is the one featuring Mark Hamill. And the reason is, this is about a year, a little less than a year after his horrifying car crash is when they filmed this. And again, he, the details of this car crash, by the way, very hazy, very murky details on this car crash, okay? It was B. Arthur's proudest moment, they say in the chat room. That may be true. Uh, actually, B. Arthur's part in it is pretty good. The rest of it stinks. Luke Skywalker in this thing is so horrific looking, I don't know how to describe it. I thought when I first watched it, you know, it was such a bad quality thing. And we're talking old internet on an old laptop. You could barely stream it. You had to torrent it to find it. And the quality was so low on it. It was super compressed. And I thought, oh, they couldn't get Mark Hamill back. You know, it's a year later. It's right after Star Wars is this huge smash hit. Maybe he was busy. They had, they had to find a lesbian woman to play <laughs> Luke Skywalker instead. Oh, no, that's not what's happening here. They were so terrified that people would notice his scars that they covered Luke Skywalker up with a layer of makeup thicker than Darth Maul's. I'm going to show it to you. I'm just going to show you the, the scene, okay? You be the judge here. Tell me this isn't the most frightening thing you've ever witnessed. What? Did she? I love you. Oh, boy. Ellen, what are you doing here? Get back to your show. You've got dancing to do with housewives. Where's Chewbacca? <laughs> By the way, this is a real thing they expected you to watch. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, one at a time. <laughs> and, by, and they keep going. They have like one quick little close-up of him, and then they go back to a wide shot hoping like, oh, God, get the, the children watching. Cover their eyes. Okay, so here he is again. So here's Luke with R2, and you look at him from here, and you go, something's off. Now, the only time I've ever seen this guy ever in my whole life, remember, this is 1978. Only time I've ever seen this guy in my whole life is when I went and saw the Star Wars on the big screen, and he seemed like a relatively handsome young man. Something's off here. What's going on? Is he an alien now? Is he one of them Greedos? Yeah. Not now, R2. <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. I don't like the looks of this. Let me. They literally have something start smoking just so they can cover his face with a fog machine. Get this fixed. Oh, R2. You're supposed to be. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that quick little shot with the fog in front of his face. But even then, even then, you can see they have painted eyelashes onto him. 
They have covered him up with so much makeup, they went, shit, we've gone too far in some places. And they had to paint back on eyelashes and eyebrows for him. And we're seeing him from his bad side. This is the bad side. Just to be watching that. In there. That ought to hold it, I think. What's up? Okay. <laughs> okay, so here's another close-up of him. And obviously this is not the same man. Obviously something has gone horribly wrong in his life. Chewbacca. Yeah, we'll bring him to the screen. I want to say hello to him. He's got Michael Jackson's nose. Well, see, that, that's the biggest problem that happened was he got his nose wildly fucked up and it made one of his nostrils permanently flared. So he's always got this very odd lopsided look. You know, I mean, the thing that's attractive about a person is that they are symmetrical. And he was a symmetrical, handsome, good-looking guy. And then... Uh, uh, you don't know where he is? Oh, he's not there yet. Is that it? Oh, boy. <laughs> the, the, the level of makeup here is absurd. And it's not like, oh, they did this with all of the characters. Maybe they just went overboard and even Han and Leia. No, the other characters look normal. They've even, they've cut his hair different so that he, his bangs hang down in front of his face a little bit more, just hoping for anything. They're just going, please, for the love of God, find anything to cover this up. Well, all I can tell you is that uh, he and Han left here on schedule. If he's not there now, they're way overdue. Now, I feel, I feel bad. I, to be honest, this is too mean to Mark Hamill. You know, the guy doesn't deserve it. I mean... Poor guy, what a horrible thing to happen to him. Or was, or was it? it? The details of this supposed car crash are so murky, I can't in good conscience actually say for sure that this car crash happened. Now, something happened. Something terrifying and horrible absolutely happened to this man. I'm not so sure it was a car crash. I'm starting to believe, and call me crazy, okay? Because I've fallen down a hole on this one, man. I'm in Alice in Wonderland now. I don't know what to believe anymore on anything. I just know I don't believe George Lucas. Call me crazy. I don't think there was a car crash. I think something even worse or more horrific happened. I don't know what. I've got no theories. I just know that the car crash story has never been consistent. Let me tell you what Mark Hamill says is the car crash story. He claims that he was on a secluded, backwoods, out in the sticks road late one night. In fact, early in the morning, really, like 3 a.m. He's on a highway, and there's no other cars around. <laughs> and he says that he navigated a, uh, an off-ramp a little too fast. He had been speeding. He admits he was speeding. But then he says that the speed was 65 to 70 miles per hour. Now, at first, I thought that was the bullshit. At first, I thought, oh, he doesn't want to tell the kids he was going 100. You know, he's, he's supposed to be a hero on the big screen, on the silver, so he can't tell them he was going super-duper fast. Maybe he just says 65 to 70. I'm going 100 every time I drive. 
There's no way you don't negotiate an off-ramp incorrectly just because you're going a little too fast. You're an adult man, and there's no other cars on the road. And isn't it convenient that there's no other cars on the road? That there's nobody there to see it. And this is a time before cell phones. It's a time before car phones. What happened? You're out in the sticks. There's no one else around. How did you end up in the hospital? Because he claims he ended up in the hospital afterwards. So he negotiates this off-ramp too fast. He claims he crossed four lanes of highway to get to that off-ramp to end up crashing. It's never explained what car he was driving, what, kind, what happened in the crash. Like, did the car flip? Did it go off the, an embankment? Did it roll? Did it just did you hit a guardrail? Did you hit one of those gallon, uh, those uh, uh, tubs full of water they have? Or what, what happened exactly? There's usually some more details. Murky, murky details. Nobody's around. He just bangs up his nose a little bit, and the next thing he knows, he wakes up in the hospital, and they've already stitched him up, and he's no worse for the wear. He's ready to go and be in Star Wars again. I'm not buying it. Sorry, farm boy. I'm going to need a better one from you. Uh, again, I, I don't know what the truth is. I don't know what really happened. I'm starting to suspect drugs are involved. I'm starting to suspect there might be a series of relapses involved in Mark Hamill's life, but that's allegedly, I'm not, you know, no slander or anything here. I just have this sneaking suspicion that some other thing is going on. Something is out there that they don't want you to know. And every single article I looked up, every think piece on this, every nerd writing this blog I found trying to research this stuff couldn't find anything definitively. Every single one of them concludes, well, it must have gone down the way he said it went down. Not good enough for me. I kept searching and I found something. Now, I mentioned to you that he had his accident in the few scant months between wrapping principal photography on Star Wars and the premiere of the movie in 1977. There's four short months in there, I believe, and he manages to wreck his face. About two months in is when he has his car crash. By the way, even the date isn't definitive. Sometimes it's December, sometimes it's January, sometimes it's 77, sometimes it's 78. Nobody's quite sure when this thing happened exactly. I think it was 77. I think it's early 77 he has the car crash. I think it's January 77. No, sorry, 76 or 77. Nobody's quite clear on But I think it's January 77. And I found an article. And I found it in a very interesting way. Okay? Now, wait for this. This is about to get... Uh, this is, I'm about to get psychopathic with you. Okay? Check this out. So, I was searching for images. I thought, how could you prove that there was some sort of cover-up? How could you prove that the whole makeup fiasco on the holiday special wasn't something that they were doing because of his face? I got it. If the car accident happened between ending filming the movie and the premiere, then he would look fucked up at the premiere. 
And so let's look for pictures of him at the premiere. Is he caked up with makeup then? Did he show up to the premiere? It seems like he did. There's not a ton of great photos, but he's clearly already had the accident in there, but he seems okay enough, and they haven't covered it up with makeup too much then, but it could be that they were just sort of testing out the way he looks. It could be they used the premiere, which, again, nobody had ever even seen him before this. Nobody knew who he was before Star Wars came out. It could be they were using that as a, uh, is this still going to work? And I, while trying to find those photos, I found these pictures right here. This is from Interview Magazine. And these images are of Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, and Harrison Ford. I'm going to put these on screen for you. Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford. And as you can see, the Carrie Fisher and uh, Harrison Ford pictures, pretty normal. But this picture that was taken one month after the car crash and one month before the premiere of Star Wars <laughs> has Mark Hamill covering up his face with his hands. And I thought, well, that's peculiar. And the only other photo from this photo set features the three of them in a group shot all smiling and laughing. And here's Mark Hamill with his face turned away from the camera. The camera. And as you can see, Carrie, the only person who seems to have been a little bit more open about this whole story and about his plastic surgery, she seems to almost be mocking him in this picture because she's covering up half of her face like the Phantom of the Opera, okay? Now, all of that's well and good, but where things get insane is when I started reading the article. Now, I didn't think anything was going to come of this article. I thought, oh, the pictures are good enough there. Something's up. They're hiding something. They clearly don't want you to know. Very peculiar, says Angie's Random Edits in the chat. So I'm reading this article, and I'm noticing Carrie and Harrison are doing all the talking, and Mark's barely saying anything. There's two interviewers, one named Susan Pyle and one named Geraldine Smith, and they've got the photographer there, okay? And they're asking questions to the whole group, but only Ford and Fisher are answering. And at a certain point, they kind of realize Mark's not saying anything, so they try to bring him into the conversation. And they say, so uh, Pyle says, one of the interviewers, Pyle says, Mark, we're going to leave the floor open to you until you say something. Tell me about Star Wars. You're the star of Star Wars, aren't you? Again, I've never seen anyone mention this interview in the discussion about his face. So Mark responds, have you seen it? And Pyle says, no, no one's allowed to see it yet. And they go on and on, but clearly something's up. You can tell by the energy of the interviewers that something strange is happening, that they're a little uncomfortable with the whole thing. And you should know about these interviewers particularly these are two of Andy Warhol's women from his factory, you know, the Warhol factory. These are two of the teenage girls he found and started putting in movies. So they're a little, they're not like your standard interviewer. You know, they're willing to push your buttons a little bit. They're kind of fucking with them. And keep in mind, in 1977, sci-fi is a joke. This movie, no one's expecting it to be good or be big, certainly. It's going to be a B-movie flop. It's, they're never going to see it any, uh, ever again. And I'm sure these two women from, you know, these Warhol girls, they're probably thinking, what the fuck? Why are we being forced to interview these idiots from this terrible movie coming out? 
So they're pushing the buttons during this interview, and it gets amazing. So they're, they're back and forth, and Hamill's barely talking. He says that uh, George Lucas, he actually says this, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg have an amazing scam going on where they make money off of each other's movies and stuff. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the interviewer talking, she introduces the photographer. The photographer is Matthew Ralston. Matthew Ralston is a very famous photographer. He's huge. He's done a ton of things now. He wasn't then, though. He was just some guy back then. You know, this is an early gig for him. She introduces Matthew Ralston, the photographer, to everybody. And it, this is all, they put this in brackets, you know, to let you know what's going on during the interview. Uh, she introduces him to everybody and explains that Mark's face is not to be photographed. Okay? What is going on here? What is the big secret? Now, nobody knows about the supposed car crash yet. Mark has a triangle, they're guessing, in the chat room. Perhaps. So his face is not to be photographed. Pyle, the interviewer, says, What else would you like to be asked? I mean, you tell me what you want to say, and you can say it. Freedom of speech, it's called. And uh, Harrison Ford answers, I don't have anything to say. They don't know what to do. It's uncomfortable. You can tell from the interview it's an uncomfortable thing. I'm skipping a ton of stuff, but suffice to say, nobody's happy with this interview, particularly the interviewers, because they can't photograph their subjects and they can't get one of them to talk. So it goes on, and let me find the next part here, because it gets, it gets weirder. Uh, uh, Harrison Ford gets up and gets a beer at one point. They start talking about Nietzsche and movies. They're talking about movies. In, okay, so they're talking about movies in general, and they start talking about Warren Beatty movies and stories about Warren Beatty, and Mark accidentally says something that kind of puts the room off a little bit, because he, he kind of criticizes Warren Beatty and his acting in a certain movie. And so now he's having to explain himself. He's going, oh, no, 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 I didn't mean it that way. And they're kind of, they're poking him. They're teasing him. You can tell the interviewer wants to say something and just can't say it. They're not allowed to say it. But they're poking him and poking him and poking him. Um... He was relentlessly charming, yeah, but, and then they start talking about Burt Lancaster. He misspeaks about Burt Lancaster. It's this whole thing. Now, here's where it gets weird. So Mark Hamill says to the interviewer, it's not an original thought of mine. Burt Lancaster felt he wasn't right for that role and said that. When you read little books about that movie, they say that the, that, that the guy was like a late to middle-aged balding fat guy on stage and Burt Lancaster was doing a character thing. He's great in that movie. Then Pyle, and it puts this in brackets, to Hamill, who is now wearing an ape mask from Star Wars. Okay? Pepe Silva! Pepe, Pepe Silva! Silva! <laughs> Randomly during the interview, Mark Hamill puts on a Chewbacca mask. They didn't even know what to call it. That, again, nobody knows what Star Wars is yet. They call it an ape mask. Clearly, it must have been Chewbacca. He's, put, he's now wearing a mask so they won't photograph him. What is the big secret? If he looks perfectly fine, what is the big secret? Pyle says, would you take that off while we're talking to you? And Hamill says, no. And then... 
Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher all together say, they said, no pictures. So they're all in on this scam together. Whatever's going on, they're all, this episode piques so many of my interests. Whatever's going on, they're all in on it. The only people who are not in on this are us, okay? George Lucas is in on it. I'm sure Mark Hamill's agents are in on it. And it's been lies ever since. It's been showmanship ever since. So Fisher says, okay, Geraldine, don't take pictures of Mark until later. We're through with him now anyway. So they're trying to get Mark out of the room. They're not through with him. He stays and they keep interviewing him. But she says that as if to say, like, we're done with Mark now anyway. If you could just go ahead, Mark, maybe leave. And Mark stays for whatever reason. I guess he felt safe in his Chewbacca mask. It gets worse. All right. Um, She starts asking Harrison Ford a bunch of questions. And he's answering in typical Harrison Ford fashion where he clearly does not give a fuck. This is all stupid to him. He didn't even mean to be an actor. He just wanted to be a carpenter. But this was easier money. Oh, yeah, I guess I'm playing a space pirate. I don't fucking know. Uh, A fast ship. (laughs) Okay, so Ford says, I think so. That's certainly simplified, but that's the essence of the relationship. Pyle says, so being an actor then, being a professional actor, must be kind of hard because you have to let go of your ego to be sublimated by a director who tells you who you are. Now, I think this is a subtle hint, saying you have to let go of your ego. I think she's poking a little fun at Mark Hamill, who's sitting in the room. Yeah, let it go of your ego a little bit. Harrison Ford says, no, no, not at all. <laughs> it's easy. The only thing hard about being an actor is being out of work. So when you get a job, that part ain't hard at all, kid. Pyle says, when you get a job, but that's Geraldine's problem now, you get desperate to go out and do it. So she's talking about the other interviewer. When you get a job, you're, you're desperate to do the job. And then she turns to Mark Hamill and says, that's your problem now, isn't it, kid? You've got a problem we aren't allowed to talk about. This is all on the record. How has nobody talked about this? This is on the record. She says that to him. You've got a problem we're not allowed to talk about. Who's not allowing you? Who is behind this? What person is pulling the strings? Give in to your anger. So she says that, just outright says it, and Harrison Ford jumps in to try to save Mark Hamill and goes, says to him, Jesus, hey, we don't mean to bring you down. And then the interviewer says something. I was baffled by this line, but then I went on an even further, more autistic rabbit hole search. (laughs) Okay? You thought we were already in the autism. We haven't even hit pay dirt yet. Ford tries to protect Hamill. The interviewer senses this and says the line that will undo everything, the line that will uncover the mystery for all time. Once we start to figure it out, she says to him, you're the Montgomery Clift. I don't know what that means, but I saw that and I went, it means something. Now I'm going to keep reading this for a second. We'll come back to that line. You're the Montgomery Clift. Carrie Fisher says, that's okay. Mark Hamill says, yeah, toss me away like that old brown shoe. So even he thinks he looks like a foot. The interviewer says, you're pretty cute, Mark. Just look at you. Clearly being sarcastic. And Mark Hamill says, yeah, hey, look at me. Just look at me. 
And then Carrie Fisher says, Mark describes himself as fun personified. So now they're all kind of making fun of him. And the interview ends with this incredibly tense and awkward moment where the interviewer pile tries to turn things back around and start asking him questions again. She just says, I mean, just a general question. She goes, so Mark, really, how old are you? Which I think is an incredible question because again, everybody blames his looks on aging. This is one month after filming. So Mark, really, how old are you? And Mark says, that's a boring question. Why don't we ask them what they're enjoying at the moment so much? Or astrology, you're into that? No, no, hey. So it ends on this very weird note. Now I go and I look up Montgomery Cliff. And if you don't know, let me tell you about Montgomery Cliff. I didn't know this. I'd never heard of him. You know, I know a lot of old stuff, and this one somehow sailed right past me. Um, I'm sure my dad would know who this is. Montgomery Clift, if you don't know, was an actor from way back in the day. I mean, his heyday is like 40s, 50s, and 60s. The dude looks like Tom Cruise. I mean, Tom Cruise looks like him. In fact, I'll show you the Wikipedia page that I got this info from here. Look at it. I mean, that's straight up Tom Cruise. Handsome devil. Young handsome, fresh-faced, good-looking kid. He shares something else with Tom Cruise, too, by the way. Extremely closeted. Montgomery Clift was a confirmed bachelor, okay? A friend of Dorothy, if you will. You know, he was, uh, he was shaking both hands and looking out of both windows. So Montgomery Clift, this guy, he shows up in Hollywood. He's a sex symbol immediately. Handsome guy. And unlike I'm trying to figure out what do they mean Mark Hamill is like Montgomery Cliff and I was thinking at first while well, he was a handsome guy before the car wreck he's a handsome guy and you know uh he's in he's in what's about to be the biggest movie but that doesn't make any sense they don't know that yet they don't they don't have that kind of foresight yet Montgomery Cliff shows up in Hollywood and he does the unthinkable if you don't know back in the day if you're a movie star, you were owned by a movie studio. You know, RKO Pictures owned you. One of the pictures, Paramount owned you. You had a contract with them. You appeared in their movies. You didn't appear in any other movie. It's not like today where you just appear, whoever wants you. You just, oh, you get your agent, you get in there, you audition, whatever. Somebody asks you to do it, wherever. No, 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 no. You're the Paramount guy, not Montgomery Cliff. He changed the way acting works just by being sexy and presumably so (laughs) I mean I assume that the Hollywood system worked back then the way it works now there I'm sure there was some guy who maybe wanted a favor oh you want to work at all the studios well you're a handsome guy what do you got for me and he uh Randy Callahan his way into the pictures so this dude not only can he be in any movie he wants to be in He's a diva. I mean, mm-mm. he gets in there and he's like, yo, you want all of this? Okay, well, how about this? I don't like this script. I'm going to rewrite all my lines. And they let him. Unheard of. Insanity. I mean, you don't even do that today. Back then, they're like, sure, whatever you say, Mr. Clift, boy, you sure are handsome. Gosh, darn it. Boy, you could be in anything. I, 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 we want you in every single picture. You might as well be the Samuel Jackson of today, except, you know, not a Negro. So he's rewriting scripts. They're letting him do anything. He's got the worst behavior on set. They don't care. They just need them some Montgomery Clift. They need him. 
I don't know who desired him so much, but this guy got away with anything. So I'm reading this article. I'm like, well, this is all interesting stuff, I guess, about this Montgomery Clift character. Uh, you know, apparently he was, um, he was good friends to the end with Elizabeth Taylor. Wink, 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 wink. He appeared in some pictures with her, but, you know, that, that's a big movie. You know, Marlon Brando, like his contemporaries were Elizabeth Taylor and Marlon Brando, right? And he died pretty young. And he died a tragic, tragic death. I'm scrolling through this thing. And I'm trying to find how does this relate to Mark Hamill. And I'm reading through Rise to Stardom. And this is bad. You know, you know it's bad. You know it didn't go the way things were planned. When your sections on Wikipedia are Rise to Stardom, Car Crash, and Later Career. <laughs> when, when something like that defines your life. You know things didn't go well. Car crash. There it is. An entire section based on a car crash. Mark Hamill, I don't think he's got a car crash section on Wikipedia. How did he escape it? Well, I read that. I go, oh, okay. So it's just they're just referencing that he was in a car crash. All right, that was a little wink and a nod. They're not allowed to say he was in a car crash. The interviewer's smart enough to know I can't say it, but I could say something that would let people know he was in one. Now, I'm sure back then even, I mean, they knew who Montgomery Clift was back in the 70s, but it probably still went over anybody reading that interview magazine article's head. Let me read to you this car crash section of Wikipedia because it is spooky just how similar the story is. Car crash. On the evening of May 12, 1956, while filming Rain Tree County, Clift was involved in a serious car crash when he apparently fell asleep while driving and smashed his car into a telephone pole minutes after leaving a dinner party at the Beverly Hills home of his close friend and co-star Elizabeth Taylor and her husband Michael Wilding. Alerted by friend Kevin McCarthy, who witnessed the collision, and see, this is the thing that's got me thinking. He was seen crashing his car. Nobody saw Hamill crash his car. How did he end up in the hospital? It doesn't make sense. Who witnessed the collision, Taylor raced to Clift's side, pulling a tooth out of his tongue as he had just begun to choke on it. Now that's horrific. That's a scary moment. The guy is now not just missing a tooth. It's embedded in his own tongue and he's dying from it. She uh, rushes over to help him. He suffered a broken jaw and nose, same as Mark Hamill, a fractured sinus, which I think is very apparent seeing that line across Mark Hamill's nose now, and several facial lacerations, which required plastic surgery. Required it. In a, film, in a filmed interview years later in 1963, he described his injuries in detail, including how his broken nose could be snapped back into place. Basically meaning it never fully recovered. His nose was always kind of fucked. Now this is where it gets interesting. Now, how similar is that to Mark Hamill's? Similar to the point where you almost start to wonder, did something else happen to him? And then they kind of stole the Montgomery Clift story for Mark Hamill. Now listen to this. After a two-month recovery, Clift returned to the set to finish the film. Despite the studio's... Con so he was in the middle of filming. It's not, Star Wars was basically wrapped. They needed to do a couple pickup shots, and they used a stunt double for Luke in those shots. 
But in this case, they're in the middle of filming it. They need him to look the same in this fucking movie. Despite the studio's concerns over profits, Clift correctly predicted the film would do well if only because moviegoers would flock to see the difference in his facial appearance before and after the crash. Now that's pretty genius, all right? I mean, you would go see that movie, right? You would want to see which scene, which scene is he fucked up and which scene isn't he? How jarring a difference is it? Although the results of Cliff's plastic surgeries were remarkable for the time, there were noticeable differences in his facial appearance, particularly the left side of his face, which was nearly immobile. The pain led him to rely on alcohol and pills for relief, as he had done after an earlier bout with dysentery, left him with chronic intestinal problems. As a result, Clift's health and physical appearance, appearance deteriorated until his death. Now, he didn't die right after that. There were still uh, at least a decade between that and his death. But listen to this next line. This is in the later career section. You don't want this to be the first line of your later career section on Wikipedia. Clift never fully physically or emotionally recovered from his car accident. His post-accident career has been referred to as the longest suicide in Hollywood history by acting teacher Robert Lewis. That seems bad. That seems real bad. So I'm reading that, and obviously now I understand the reference in the interview, and it kind of, it's so revealing. It's so revealing to the point where now it's opening up brand new questions. It's got my mind racing in other ways. This car crash would have well been on the minds of the people working at the studio and the people working on Star Wars uh, when this happened to Mark Hamill. They would have remembered the Montgomery Clift situation. In fact, in the interview, you can tell they understood the reference because they start coming to Mark's aid and you know saying, oh, it's not that bad, you're fine. They literally have him wearing an ape mask, though, so that's not good. <sighs> I started thinking, you know, I mentioned this a second ago, George Lucas didn't make money off of the release of Star Wars. He made money off of merchandising and sequel rights to it. He wanted to make sure he had the sequels. Imagine banking that much money on trying to start a franchise of movies and your lead actor is now Mincemeat. I think this whole story and this whole cover-up and this whole bizarre interview where he couldn't be photographed was them worrying about people going to see Star Wars for exactly the reason Montgomery Cliff says in that uh, par paragraph right there, that uh, they're going to be checking to see, is he different, does he look the same? George Lucas must have been sitting there sweating his jowls off going, oh, when we make the next movie, everybody's going to be looking at him funny. They're going to be wondering why he looks so different. What do I do? And at some point he went, I know. I'll have a wampa claw his face. It has to be the case. I think we have actually finally cracked this case for once and for all. Whether or not the car crash in question happened or if it even happened the way they say it happened, I don't know. But I feel like I can say with absolute 
definitive authority that they absolutely wrote that scene in order to cover up the car crash scars. And with that said, it means that George Lucas is the biggest, longest-running bullshitter of all movie history. Nobody else is more willing to run with the tall tale just to save his own ass than George Lucas. If he's willing to do that just for the looks and ego of the star of his movies, think about the lengths he's willing to go for his own ego. When he tells you he wants to edit the movies because he just didn't have the technology to rightfully complete them the way he wanted to in 1977 and 1980, don't buy it for a second. The man is a madman, and every time he changes his movies, he has absolutely no expectation that people will take it the wrong way. He thinks he's a genius, and it hurts his ego when you tell him otherwise. I'm here to tell you right now he is a genius let him do anything he wants let him piss off the star wars nerds it's the funniest thing i've ever seen if the man could create mcclunky think of the other things he could do i cannot wait to see the next time George Lucas manages to fiddle with Star Wars when he's doing it outside of copyright, when Disney has to go after him because he just releases it on his own on YouTube and goes, ah, fuck it, what are they going to do? I got $4 billion. Let's just see what happens. And I guarantee you, when that inevitably happens, it's probably going to look a little something like this. George Lucas's final special editions Leia McClunky The time has come Execute order McClunky McClunky Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father He told me enough he told me you killed him. No, I am a clunky. No, it's not true. That's impossible. Also, C-3PO has a penis now. The end, bye. Support the show. Join the pizza fun. Potawful.pizza. Pizza, pizza. Pizza. Potawful.pizza. All right, sorry, Mark Hamill, that your face got McClunkied, but I know it's just a McClunky thing. Tonight's show has been a very McClunky one. I hope you enjoyed all the McClunky, and I can't wait to re-upload all of the old episodes of Pod Awful over at Vimeo.com slash Pod Awful. Follow me over there, Vimeo.com slash Pod Awful. We will be putting up all the old episodes, and all of them will be re-edited to include the word McClunky. Uh, more stuff coming to the Pizza Fund and old stuff returning very soon. Tonight's show, 
the pot after show if you'd like to see it it is me taking over the tom gully show i'm going to add that to the pizza fund tonight you can check that out very soon i hope you do see you over in the pizza fund pod pizza and on wednesday i'll see you there as well 8 p.m eastern time for a very very uncensored show until next time have an awful day mcclunky Head over to potawful.com slash iTunes and subscribe to us on iTunes. We're live every Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern at potawful.tv. Love the show? Keep it going by donating to the Pizza Fund. Potawful.com slash support. And anything else you need is at potawful.com. The Clinky!